Hello, I'm Pete Peterson, and this is episode 42 of the Rabbit Room Podcast. At Hutchmoot 2012, Thomas McKenzie, my wife Jennifer Trafton, and I led a session called Tales of the New Creation. Here in part one of that session, Thomas, pastor of the Church of the Redeemer in Nashville, lays the theological groundwork, reminding us of the ultimate hope of our Christian faith. I wish that Pete had introduced me as his beautiful friend, Thomas McKenzie, but I find that really disturbing. Um, Good morning. Um, Yesterday, there was a a session on Tales of the Fall, right? Like, not Legends of the Fall, but Tales of the Fall. And today we're doing the kind of the other the other part of that. I was not in that room, so I have no idea what they what they all talked about. Okay, so um, I want to pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, your word and um, your love for us, and thank you for um, the opportunity to gather together. And I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that as we talk today and listen um, and consider things, that you would be lifted up among us, and as you are lifted up, that you would draw us to yourself. Amen. So. Um, does anyone here uh, fish? Do you all go fishing ever? Fishing? Awesome. Ne- me neither. Um, I, never, I never do that. Um, but I have daughters. I have two daughters. And like, it was like two or three years ago, they got really into this idea that we should go fishing. And so I did not know what to do with that. So I said, okay, we'll, we'll do that. And I um, sort of guessed what one might do. And um, the, the first thing, we, we got up in the morning... Um, and we, they got dressed, and we went down to the, this, uh, the Academy Sports and Outdoors, the right stuff, the right price. And um, we bought fishing poles, but they were the, the Lil Caster fishing poles, little tiny ones, you know. And then we got in my car, and we drove down the Natchez Trace to this place where I heard that they had a, a lake that, like, kids could fish in specifically because it was really, really well stocked. And so I paid some money, and we went into the lake, and I rented a boat, which was a huge mistake because it was a big boat, and I was the only one oaring, and uh, it was awful. Anyway, so we were out there, and we, they were, we were fishing, and they were very cute. They had, like, sun hats on, you know, because they're very fashion-forward. And, um, and they were out there, and I have a little picture of them, like, you know, with their little pole, their, their little casters over the side of the boat, and they're, and they're fishing. And at one point, my daughter Ella, who is who's now 13, but at the time I guess was 11 or 10 or whatever she was, um, you know, was just, oh, I have a fish, you know. And so we, we pulled it out, and it was actually like not just like a little tiny fish; it was a pretty big fish, you know. And we pulled it out, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's a fish, you know. And it was like flashing, you know, thrashing around on the boat and everything. And so I brought a uh, I brought a, an ice chest that that's what I was told you're supposed to do. So I put the fish in the ice chest and I closed it up and the fish still thrashing around the ice chest. So I kind of killed the fish through some kind of torture technique. And, um, and then I was like, this is awesome. This is going to keep, this is going to obviously keep happening, which it did not keep happening. That was the only fish we caught, um, that morning, which made the giant ice chest. I feel, I, I brought feel a little like overkill, but, um, so we, 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 we went home with, with the fish, right? I went home with the fish, and I looked up on the internet how you're supposed to clean a fish, which is like the least clean thing you can imagine doing, is cleaning a fish. It's disgusting. And so I sat there, and I didn't have the appropriate tools, so I took like a steak knife, and I'm like, you know, and it's, it didn't work well. And anyway, so it took me a long time, and I made Ella help me, and um, so she helped me, and so we, were, we cleaned the fish, and, and then we, uh, I fried the fish up. And my intention, of course, was to serve it for lunch, 
but it was more like snack. You know, I was trying to serve like five Doritos to five people, four people for lunch. So I served it up, right? And Ella was like, this is the best fish I've ever had in my life. Which, of course, it was, right? The best fish she'd ever had in her life because she had caught it, right? And I, we sat there eating the fish. It was me and, and my wife and our two daughters. We were just sitting there eating the fish. And I've had a whole lot better fish than this before. I mean, I really have. Like, I've had some good fish. This was not that, okay? And this wasn't well cleaned. You know, they were like bone. Um, but there was something really honest about this little meal that we were having, something really true about it that I, I felt in my soul. Like, I felt like there was something going on that was beyond my normal experience. You know, there's something beyond, like, when I go to Kroger and buy, um, you know, ground beef in a tube, you know, which is what I end up doing most of the time. Um, like, there's something, there was something more than that going on. Um, and at the, and I want to reflect on, on that. Um, and I want to kind of reflect on it um, and reflect on new creation by um, reading to you uh, from Luke chapter 24. And you, you might want to look at this, and you may not. It's, if you have a Bible, there's Bibles in front of you in these, in these chairs, and it's on page 976, if you're interested. And the rest of you have, like, iPad book of the, you know, whatever you do. Because you're all hip and have iPads. Okay. So Luke chapter 24, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, this is... Um, they're talking about what Peter told them about the road to Emmaus and stuff. Uh, while they're still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it. He took it and ate it in their presence. Christians believe in the resurrection of the dead. Um, if you have ever read the Nicene Creed, or if you go to a church where the Nicene Creed is said... We confess every single Sunday, at least in our tradition, uh, that we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Jesus is, uh, it's told to us in the scripture that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, right? And so whatever Jesus is in his resurrection, we expect to be. Because Jesus is not the only person who's ever going to be resurrected. He's just the first person to be resurrected, so the resurrection of Jesus is key to us in our understanding of the age to come. Absolutely key. I mean, absolutely, the resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing that's ever happened ever. Okay. And it's key for our understanding of what everything else means. And in fact, um, historically, uh, from the church fathers to the reformers to, um, to people today who value the scripture, um, when we read scripture, we read it through the lens of Christ, and specifically through the lens of Jesus' resurrection. That um, when we look at Scripture, we say, okay, what's going on here? What does it mean? And to do that, we have to look at it um, through the resurrection as the primary interpretive tool um, for everything else that goes on. 
So this primary interpretive tool, this, this resurrection um, that's described here, is the resurrection that we expect to have also. Um, you and I can expect to be resurrected. We are not the pagans. Okay? The pagans believe in the immortality of the soul. Okay? Um, I'm a, a big fan of the, uh, of the, the record that Ron Block was on, the um, Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Do y'all know Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack? I was actually listening to the radio, was it last night, night before, and Mumford and Sons were being interviewed, and they said, well, how did you get into that kind of music? They said, the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. And I was like, wow, Ron Block was part of Mumford and Sons coming into existence, right? There's a, there's a great, great song on that, on that CD, I'll Fly Away. Do you know the song, I'll Fly Away? I love that song. I, would, I mean, I crank up, I'll fly away, I'll fly away. I'll go. Love that song, okay? Theologically, utterly corrupt, okay? Utterly corrupt song, theologically speaking. Why? Because none of us are flying anywhere. Okay? Because we believe in the resurrection of the dead, not the immortality of the soul. Okay? The pagan believes in the immortality of the soul. The pagan believes that when you die, your soul leaves your body and it goes to some place of the dead and hangs out there, Right? And hopefully, if you're good enough, you go to some place of the dead where good things happen, right? As opposed to some place of the dead where bad things happen. Uh, the Greeks taught that. The, the, you know, the Norse taught that. We never taught that. We've always taught us that the resurrection of the dead, that we can expect this, right? We can expect this. And so if we can expect this, what does that mean? Okay? That's the question. Well, for us, it means this. Uh, they were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. In the resurrection of the dead, we can expect to be I myself. That, there, that whatever you are now, you will be. That's kind of a terrifying thought, isn't it? That what we are now, we will be. Except that when we are resurrected, we'll be made perfect. So whatever you are now in your imperfections, you will be in your perfections. Okay? But you will be you yourself. You yourself. Like No one is going to sit there and go, is that, is that Pete Peterson? I, I don't know. I can't tell. Is it Jennifer? Who can tell? Right? They'll be like, oh, Pete, Jennifer. They'll know the difference, okay? as you can today. right? Thank God. Right? Um, you'll be able to tell the difference. You'll be, because you will be you yourself. Just as Jesus was, I, myself. And listen to what he says. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have what? Flesh and bones, as you see I have. Flesh and bones? Have you ever considered this for a moment? That the resurrection of the dead is the revival of flesh and bone. It's the restoration of flesh and bone. It is not the restoration of, like, angel wings and harps and fairy dust and floating about. You know, right? It is the restoration of flesh and bone. That what Jesus is after his resurrection is the stuff that we're made out of. Perfected, eternal, but flesh and bone. Then he goes on, right? When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while still they did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have something here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it in their presence. Jesus not only is made of flesh and bone, but he eats and drinks. Now, there's a lot of things about the resurrection that are different than us right now, right? Like, for instance, Jesus is eternal, okay? So Jesus is eternal. He's always going to be Jesus, right? There's, the ascension shows us that, that Jesus didn't leave his body behind, okay? And his soul didn't float up and his body was left behind. His whole self moves into, is translated into heaven, okay? So we will be also eternal. 
Jesus shows up into a room where the door is locked, which is something that most of us can't do, right? Unless we're like David Blaine or something, you know, right? Why? Well, C.S. Lewis has a guess at this. C.S. Lewis says that he believes that Jesus is able to walk through doors because he's more real than the door is, which is very true, right? God is more present in this space than we are uh, because we're only here kind of barely, and he's here in an eternal way. So, uh, so we will be like that, eternal, uh, perfected, sinless, free, walking through walls, apparently. Apparently, be able to move from Galilee to Nazareth, you know, or from, Naz- uh, from Jerusalem to Galilee incredibly quickly, this sort of thing. But we'll also be flesh and bone, and eating and drinking, and apparently enjoying us some fish. Um, when the kingdom of heaven is described, the new creation is described in the book of Revelation, it's described as a city coming out of heaven, right, and merging here onto the earth. And what's fascinating about that is like in the like, I'll fly away song, like we go there. But in the Bible, they come here, right? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they come here. We don't go there. They're the ones doing the traveling. They're the ones flying. Okay. So they, we expect them to fly to us. Now, what does that mean? Okay. It means that uh, fishing matters. It means that fishing matters. And the reason it matters is because we will always do it. It means that cooking matters because in the kingdom of heaven, we will feast together and someone's going to cook the food. Except it's going to be a, a joyous thing and not a tiresome thing. It means that art matters. Because art is something we will always do. Because if you are you, and you, and part of you, part of the way God made you is to create art, or to write songs, or to write poetry, or to enjoy those things, then why do you think that that will go away when the kingdom of heaven comes? It won't, right? Those things matter because you will always do them. Relationships matter. They matter because we will always have them. And hopefully we'll have them with the same people that we know now. So these relationships that we are practicing endure forever. See, the new creation, this this idea of new creation, which which Jennifer and Peter are going to get into in awesome ways uh, in their talks, is a theological reality, okay, that is the the, the baseline of of all we're talking about today. And this basic theological reality is that God is not intending to take the universe and be like, oh, done with that, crumple up piece of paper, throw it in the trash. But rather, God's intention is to to take the universe that's already here, reform it, and then we live in this, right? And so he is going to take the creation and make it new, not the creation and destroy it and make a new one. Or worse, have us float around you know, on some kind of pagan clouds with like harps and, and I'll fly away. This is the reality that Christians have always believed, by the way. This is not like some kind of new teaching in the church. This is what the apostles taught. This is what the fathers taught, the mothers taught. This is what the Reformation teaches. This is like the whole thing. And so if you're sitting there going, I have never heard such a thing, I'm really, really sorry. Okay. But this is biblical Christianity. Okay read through the resurrection. So as now, what Jennifer and Pete are going to get to do is to kind of explore what the implications of that are. For more information regarding the songs, writers, and artists featured here, please visit rabbitroom.com. Rabbit Room music composed and performed by Ben Shive.